All right. We're back with episode 16 with Nico Chaprales. Did I say it right, Nico? Chaprales. Chaprales. I'm so close. I'm so close. <laughs> uh, the Greek, otherwise known as the Greek Goliath, uh, open open class uh, pro strongman, um, 2016 IPL World Champions. Also, sure. uh, really great to have you on the show, Nico. Um, why don't you go ahead and just uh, give us a, I mean, just give us a, a quick uh, little elevator speech, if you will, to start the show. And then we'll get into, you know, what we kind of talked about uh, just a few minutes ago before we started. Yeah, guys, I mean, I appreciate you uh, having me on. Um, I, I am uh, relatively new to Strongman, um, as you said, I spent about 18 years in powerlifting, and then uh, in 2019, I decided to switch over to uh, Strongman under the advice of uh, my now coach, Derek Poundstone. Um, did some training, was ready for my first show, then COVID hit, um, shut everything down, so that sucked. Um, but uh, I did uh, Massachusetts Strongest Man, won that, and then I did uh, USS Nationals in 2021 and came in second. Um, and uh, just kind of been picking away at shows here and there ever since. Um, did OSG last year. Um, just trying to get to some of the bigger shows and, and make my mark in the sport. Awesome, man. Well, it is an absolute pleasure, pleasure having you on the show today. Um, and as we kind of said, you know, before we started, we typically do, we've been doing Trash or Treasure. Um, we're going to forego that today because of uh, an incident that happened in Strongman, in amateur Strongman over the weekend. I believe it was in uh, Clinton, Mississippi at Mill Monsters. Um, an individual, uh, by his own admission, almost died because of a failure of equipment. And this is, I mean, this is a topic that is, uh, I've been preaching for a long time. It's something that concerns me greatly, especially in amateur uh at the amateur level, um, of course, when you get higher and higher, the equipment uh, quality gets better. The shows get run better. They have a better budget. But here we are at Amateur Strongman. And in my my many years, over 14 years in the sport, I've seen things just like this happen over and over and over again. Equipment's failing, uh, very low quality, cheaply made equipment that's not tested before the show. And, and you know, in this case, Somebody literally, I mean, by looking at it, almost lost their life when um, they, I mean, this is, this is an insane, I don't know if you could show it, John, just, I, I think it's already gone um, totally viral, but let's kind of show the clip and, and, and hash this out a little bit. Um, I mean, I got a lot of things to say about it. I have a, I have a very world-class opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pulling it up now. Just a second. Yeah, it's been uh, just as a warning to anybody who's a little. Oh yeah, it, it, it's it's tough to watch. So it's warning. Yeah, there's yeah. no blood or anything, but oh man, you're gonna cringe. Yeah, and just one second. Sharing the screen. Screen two. And here we are. Here's the clip. And I'll, and I'll explain for those that, that you know, end up listening um, rather than watching the video. But, you know, we got a gentleman. Oh, God. Yeah. 
watching that. So, so this gentleman had taught torn his bicep and, and he didn't want to stop competing. So the, the solution I guess was, is to strap one side of his body onto uh, one side of the Hercules hold um, and hand on the other. And as soon as they released the side that he strapped into just came over and, and I mean, there's inches, you can see there's a loading pin that just barely missed his head. And according to, you know, his own admission, the, you know, he had like hairline fracture, I think the wrists, a lot of stitches in the back of his head, his own admission, I almost died. And by looking at, I can see. Now, the problem that I have with this is that I hope you have, I hope you have more than one problem with this, but the problem oh, I have a lot of problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's one big problem right. <laughs> with a lot of elements. Um, and my biggest problem is is that this is this is something that's been going on in the sport for a long time. I've seen it over and over and over again in my 14 plus years. I've reported incidents to uh, organizations in the past for strongman, uh, and nothing gets done about it. And in this case, you know, my first reaction was that promoter um, needs to be held accountable 100%. You know, the, you, your feeble uh, indemnity, indemnity waivers do not cover you for negligence. And that is grossly neg negligent. What I found out is the guy that it, that's in that uh, scene there is also the state chair. And so you've got this case of two people that were – ultimately responsible for the safety of every single athlete in that competition completely neglecting um any concern for it whatsoever my understanding also is from third-party sources uh that that isn't the first time that thing failed either leading up to or during the competition um and then also uh as a note uh, one of the competitors had emailed me a message that they had sent to Willie Wessels, the president of the United States Strongman, explaining their concern. And the, the simple response was, and I quote, both are new to their positions, rookie mistake. Like, I'm sorry, I, you got to be fucking kidding me. This, this deserves an apology. Uh, an example of how you have learned from your mistakes and an absolute assurance that it's never going to happen again. This isn't a mistake. That was 100% avoidable and put everybody's well-being, if not their lives, in danger that day. This isn't something that you just sweep under the rug and forget about. Yeah, I mean, you know, throughout my career, I've, I've had a really good relationship with Willie. I, I mean, I get along with him really well. He likes me a lot, um, but I will say that the one thing that I that I find perplexing is that he doesn't seem to have like a visceral reaction to protecting his company or his assets. He always seems to like. Uh, I mean, just for example, I mean, last year uh, at the uh, the show was called the the Bricktown Showdown, and um, I was I was watching the live stream. I was supposed to compete in the show, but I, I ruptured my tricep and I was recovering, so I watched the live stream. And the commentators, the, the the language that they were using at a at a family friendly show, was atrocious. I mean, they were talking about three hundred pound strippers and and uh, you know eating ass and shit. And, and you know, and I, I just uh, I messaged Willie. Well, I messaged my my state my state chair first, and he said to message Willie. And I, I messaged Willie, and I was like, 
hey, man, like, just so you know, if I was at this show, because I have a 10-year-old daughter, and if I was at this show and she heard that shit, I'd pack up my shit and leave right away, you know? This yeah. is USS is supposed to be a family-friendly product. It's, it says it in the rules. And yeah. um, and he was just kind of like, well, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the commentary was uh, the, the Gorilla Piss guys, and they're not really part of USS. And, and he was just passing the buck. And I'm like, but Willie, he's on a USS show broadcasting, and it's coming off as if he's one of your guys. And um, he eventually ended up listening to it and – Apparently, some action was taken and, and, and whatnot. But, I mean, he should be absolutely irate when things like this happen. Irate. I, and he, I should can't be agree the, he should be the first one to – heads, especially for something like this, heads should roll. I mean, that's, not, that's my opinion. So Yeah, no, you're right. Um, my feelings are as the, uh, the state chair and – I mean, look – they should never have been put in that position in the first place. If they don't have the experience um, to and, and the maturity to run a well-organized and safe show, right? Safety right. should be first. You know, we were talking before the show, and you made a very good point, and it's something that I've said several times over the last couple of days, is if this was and, – and I'm not so sure that this can't be construed – as a, as a, I mean, it's an organization and people are working, they're, they're volunteering. If OSHA was to come into a place like this that it regulated, they would shut down. Yeah. Um, I think they would shut down, you know, I've said at least 50%. I've heard people, some people say they believe it would be as many as 80% of shows would get shut down because yeah. of the lack of organizational safety and health uh, precautions. Uh, and this is this is just a, a, a mind boggling example uh, where you've got, you know, basically the blind leading the blind. There's two people that do not have the experience, clearly not the maturity, because, you know, they didn't even address the potential for harm to other athletes. It was shrugged off. It was like I was the one that was in there. I got hurt. I'll take responsibility. We'll move on. Well, no, you're damn lucky that that didn't happen to somebody else. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and the thing that you also have to think about is obviously at, at every level of this sport, safety should be the first thing that comes to mind. But, you know, when you look at when you look at guys that do pro shows, um, you know, I mean, I, I have Ragnarok games in three weeks. and There's, there's twenty thousand dollars on the line. And, you know, you, you may push yourself to a point that, you know, you wouldn't if you were an amateur. However, when you're looking at the amateur level. Strongman, what people forget is strongman is a product that people buy. When you're, amateur, when you're an amateur athlete, you are you are paying to compete in that show, and you're paying for an experience. And you're not paying to have a dangerous experience or an unpleasant experience. You're you're paying to go there for that day. And you know the 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 hard truth of this sport is that you know ninety percent of the athletes either will never go pro or have no aspirations of going pro and they just want to enjoy their day, which is great. It's fine. It's what makes this sport run off of people like that. Um, right. And for people like that, for them to pay their hard earned money, whatever the entrance fee is, you know, usually 50 to a hundred dollars for whatever show you're entering and to come into an environment where they're going to be unsafe is, uh, is completely ridiculous and unprofessional. And it needs it's to be, it's got to be out of the sport, you know? 
Yeah, it's unacceptable in my opinion. You're absolutely right. I mean, it is a it's a product. It's a service. It's entertainment. You're paying for entertainment. It's just like if you went to the, um, um, inter- um, I'm sorry, the theme park, right? And you right. rode a ride. You're paying 50 bucks or whatever, 60 bucks to take a ride, and and it fails. You might not die, but if you it fails and you get hurt. You're not going to walk the right way and just say, oops, rookie mistake, you yeah, know, rookie, or, take, or, or just be like, oh, that's okay. You know, why, why do we do that in strongman? Why, why, where does this culture of tolerance uh, come from? Because, you know, and I've said this in the past, and, and you're on, you're right, we're on the same page here, Nico, and I love this because uh, I said numerous times that as an athlete, you are paying, you are the customer, you're owed a, a minimum level of of safety and quality for what you're paying for and yes there should be there needs to be a reasonable uh, um uh expectation to be in a safe environment like it's different if you're like pressing a log and you drop it on yourself right you know to me that's like that's that's athlete error you're going in and you're accepting that risk that's what indemnifies the promoter and the organization but when you have equipment that is failing you're, you know, and I'm going to use America's Strongest Man here, too. I think it was last year or the year before when they had the heavy um, fingles fingers on that slick-ass convention center floor. I stopped watching because I was seeing those guys slip, and I didn't want to see that fall on anybody. And I'm so glad that it didn't. But it's things like that that are so overlooked and ignored that have got to stop before somebody actually does die. I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet. God, I hope it never does. Well, I mean, yeah, it's, uh, and, and, you know, as you said, I mean, I'm glad you brought up ASM because it, it really does happen at, at all levels. Um, you know, and, and I feel like it is difficult at some of the bigger shows. Like, I mean, this year at OSG, you know, uh, we had the hurricane, which turned a three-day show into a two-day show. And it, we, we had, the first day was just an absolute nightmare. We were there for like 18 hours. It was just insane. And, um, but the, the second day, uh, the finals, which, you know, obviously only the, the top 10 of each class form the finals. So it's a, it's a much more relaxed day as far as competitors because you cut the field down by 80%. Um, and, you know, during during the car walk, I don't, I don't know if you guys saw this, but uh, one of the women's middleweight, I, I don't recall her name. Uh, yes, she broke her femur. Her, 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 her ankle, like, shattered in the car walk. That's her and, um, yeah. And, uh, you know, they they were doing – I don't want to come down on them too hard because they really were – they were doing their best um, to keep the floor as safe as possible. They were going through after every run with leaf blowers. and But people, you know, they were heavily chalking their back, and there was chalk all over the place. And she probably hit that one spot that had a pile of chalk and just wiped out with a – I think her car was like 650 pounds or something, and her ankle turned and just – it, it was it was brutal to watch. I mean, yeah, I've seen the video, man. We thought the I mean, car, I mean, like, we thought I mean, the car landed from the angle you know? that you did, but it was it was gross. Yeah, um, and to to hear her scream uh, was uh, d- difficult to say the least. And uh, she's making a, a great recovery, which is awesome. Um, but so after that, uh, when the uh, when the the men's over fifty went. Uh, Nick Best is walking up and down the floor and he's like pointing to all the spots that he wants cleaned up because he's like, oh, I'm not breaking my fucking leg. What the fuck? Yeah. You know? so, um, but yeah, and I mean, and I'm not coming down 
listen, Lynn runs a really tight ship. He's a great promoter. Um, so I guess my point is, is that, you know, the, the sport is dangerous enough that things like this can happen at the highest and lowest levels. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's negligence and sometimes it's just, you know, it is what it is. Uh, but I mean, accidents are going to happen, right? right. Accidents are going to happen and, and, and you may be able to write them off, you know, as acts of God, if you will. Um, but yeah, when it comes to negligence, this this particular, I mean, this, this thing, this, uh, uh, Hercules hold that, that was just, first of all, if you're running a local show and you have an athlete injure themselves, tear a bicep, tear a quad, tear a whatever, they they should be done. They shouldn't be allowed to compete anymore at all. To, to strap someone into any implement so they can't let, I mean, that would, that would be like duct taping someone to a crucifix and saying, go, go to town, you know? I mean, hope you don't fall. It's crazy, man. Yeah. It's like for, for safety purposes, you know, it's like, and I'll tell you the truth, guys, it took me a long time to warm up to figure eight straps because in a deadlift, you can't bail on a deadlift with figure eight straps. You go down with the bar. And before I learned how to kind of use them properly, like if I would miss a rep, I, like I jammed my arm a couple times and fucked my wrist yeah. up. And I'm like, man, I don't know if I like these things, you know, um, but risk versus mm-hmm. reward. I, I stuck with it and, and I prefer them now, but you know, but just, I mean, and, and that's something as simple as that. I could never imagine tying someone into a, a Hercules hold. Like what was the, what was the game plan there for when he had to bail? You know, there was so many things you have to let go, you know, like, how could you not see that going off horribly wrong? I mean, it's crazy. It, I mean, it, it blows my mind, and I'm not I'm not blaming everyone per se. The organizers certainly are to blame. You know, the the guy that strapped was strapped in was the the senior official at that show. Should have known better. Should have put a stop to it himself. He probably shouldn't even been competing. You know, but um. But yeah, I mean, so everybody just stood by. I, don't, I wasn't there. I don't know if anybody said anything, and maybe somebody did. But you know, watching that video, you're like, how didn't anybody stop this? This is this yeah. is absurd. But there's got to be some accountability, and 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 it really uh, blows my mind that that we're you know Monday's over. Uh, the state chair hasn't issued an apology. Uh, you know, you got there, there's people posting on his uh, uh, commenting on his post saying like this was traumatic to watch like right. i had the kids there like if somebody would have died you know what would have happened and and, and i think it, it it deserves an apology and some assurances that it's never going to happen again and and frankly those two the promoter and that state chair need to be removed from that position and and not reinstated until they've shadowed somebody with significant experience for uh for a significant period of time they have to be ready they have to be experienced and i mean this this I this kind uh, uh, deal where novices, people that are are you know early twenties just starting off in strongman, all they have to do is pay sanctioning fees, and anybody can go run a show as terribly as they want, you yeah. know, in, in a deteriorating back alley where all the equipment you know disintegrates is has got to stop. It's not acceptable in my opinion, and and athletes themselves, you know, as you pointed out earlier. This is just entertainment, man. It's not worth your well-being, your life, to go and and tolerate an unsafe environment. You have to demand more. Like it, it's your money. You're voting for this by every time you go back and pay pay these guys 
to compete. You're saying this is okay and this is acceptable. And you know, at the end of the day, it's, it really is up to the athletes. But I, I'm going to be a voice for change. And 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 I can. I think Willie needs to come out and and say something serious about this and and make uh, uh, permanent changes to the culture and and the standards at which uh, these competitions are held. Yeah, I mean, to my understanding, as far as the state chairs, um, you know, the, the vetting process is, is pretty pretty weak, you know. Um, I mean, my, my, my good friend Steve Tripp, he is the uh, Rhode Island state chair, and um, the way that he got that gig was he, he went with me to 2021 Nats, and he met Willie and um, kind of shot the shit with him for a little bit. And then um, for whatever reason, Rhode Island didn't have a chair. And Willie just sent him a message and was like, hey, you want to be the chair? Steve's like, yeah, sure. sure. And I was like, that's it? Like, <laughs> there's no, you don't want to, like, come see the gym or, like, ask about, like, the hit? Like, and, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, Steve's a great guy. We've run three or four USF He's been around, He's been around a lot. Yeah. And, um, you know, he, he, he runs a really tight ship and he runs really good shows. And, and he definitely, um, you know, I, I help him out. And, you know, I'd like to think that the, the the athlete experience is always at the top of our priority, you know, because um, at that level, you know, Rhode Island's a, a very small state, um, not a, a huge talent pool. And, right. you know, at the amateur level, you know, these people are just looking to have fun and have an experience, which is, which is what we like to provide. But, you know, some of these other state chairs, you know, um, and I'm not going to name any names, but it's like, you know, you look at these people and like, they don't have, they don't look like they've ever even seen the inside of a gym, never mind competing from it. You know, it's like, right. and to, as you said, to, I'm not, I'm not trying to act dramatic, but to, to literally put other people's lives in their hands. It, it, it's kind of crazy to, to represent your company. You know, you think you'd be a little more selective as to the process and, and kind of vet people a little more. But I mean, that's just me. I'm not the president of the company. Thank God. I would never want that responsibility or that burden. But, uh, but for whatever reason, like, I mean, you know, I, I run a commercial fishing business, so trust me, I, I know all about safety, you know? Um, yeah. yeah, you I do. Mean, we're in an industry where, you know, it, it's, you know, the most dangerous job in the world. And safety is like the number one thing. So, you know, if I was to ever decide that I wanted to go into the promotional aspect of strongman, I mean, yeah, that would that would be by far my my number one. You know, all the all the kit would have to be top notch, and you know, everything would have to be as safe as possible. And you know, and it's just you know, even some of these events where you know. I mean, there, there are events that are relatively safe, and then there are events that are a, a little less safe. And it's like, why don't we leave, like, the less safe events to, like, you know, top, like, top yeah, national-level guys. People that have the budget guys, to you know? build quality, well-made right. equipment. Yeah, it's like, you know, when you look at a local show, it's not super hard, guys, you know? Like, just have a, an overhead, a deadlift or a squat, a carry event, have some kind of grip event, and then finish with some stones. You're done. You know, yeah. you don't have to have like you know, uh, Conan's wheel for max distance, a bus pull, fucking you, you know, uh, a kettlebell over a fucking uh, land on your head. It's like guys, just come on. You know, like 
these people can barely tie their fucking shoes at this level. Like, don't set them up to get killed, you know? So You're right. I'll argue that, too. You know I mean? Uh, if you're going to be in strongman, you have to master the basics first. And, and you know, and I think promoters, <laughs> you know, get caught up in this idea that they have to be to attract people. They have to have these wild, crazy new inventions. And and nine times out of ten, they're just they're just poorly made garbage that fails halfway through the competition. And not everybody gets to use it anyway. Right. hundred percent. Right? So, because that, that's the thing, is that when you do come up with a new concept, you have to then build that and fabricate it. And usually, most of these promoters, it goes out to the lowest bidder, which might be your buddy Chuck, who just got his fucking welder's license two days ago. And he, he, doesn't, even of, he doesn't even have a welder's license, Nico. He doesn't have a welder's license. He just bought first, his first arc welder. <laughs> he doesn't even know how to lay a bead. <laughs> I mean, luckily enough, I've, I've never really taken part in a show where I felt unsafe. Um, but there there was a show, uh, and this wasn't necessarily like a safety issue, but there was a show called uh, Clash of the Tridents, which was also a USS show down in Atlantic City. And there was a, a yoke medley where there were baskets that were welded onto a yoke. And we had to put we had to load sandbags into the baskets and then take the yoke back down the course. Like, cool concept, you know? That, that sounds pretty cool. But when we got there, the baskets had, like, no walls in them. So, like, all the, the, the lightweight women... Basically, if you were loading a sandbag that was less than 150 pounds, it could slide right out the side of the basket. And we're asking, like, so what happens if you're, like, what do you do? They're like, oh, don't worry, it won't be a problem. And we're like... But it's going to be a problem, you know, like it's, it's there needs to be a lot more thought process put into these. If, if, if you're going to if you're going to be that promoter and put on like a, a wacky, cool specialty event, like a uh, perfect example. Um, uh, shit. Uh, Hannah Coldiron. They, they just did that circus show. Mm -hmm. All those implements were fucking so cool. They all looked awesome. They were all very well made. They must have put out a ton of money to put on a really cool show, but they did it right. It wasn't garbage. It was well-fabricated stuff. And even though it was like wacky circus stuff, everyone had a great time. It was safe, and, and it, was, it, it was a great show. So if you're going to do that, go that route and do it right, you know? Yeah, and I mean they they got experience, and I think it all just boils down to standards. Like standards, we 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 will beat standards. We're going to beat that horse until you know the end of time. That standards and strongman have got an improvement. When we talk about standards, it's not you know standardizing a barbell or anything. It's like it's just just having some minimum requirements. Right. Um, and this is a perfect example for it that before somebody goes out and puts on a competition. They've got to meet some minimum requirements, and and there's no other sport, I think, and even strength sports, that would allow um, such low quality equipment to be used. I mean, you look at, um, I think it's um, U.S. weightlifting. Is that right? Is that the right USA weightlifting? Um, I've talked to some weightlifters about their standards. I mean, you, you can't even put on a competition unless you have competition plates and competition barbells on the right platform, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, so there's like these minimum requirements that have to be met. Why can't we have that in strongman? Well, I know the answer is because it would, it would, you know, cut into organizational revenue, right? That's where they make all their money is from sanctioning fees and memberships. Um, but I mean, something's got to give. I mean, we got to have a good balance where there's there's safety first, 
some minimum requirements. You're putting the right, letting the right people run the shows, uh, or you're appointing the right people to run the shows. And, and, you know, it's okay to make some money too, but we can't be all about money and neglect safety. And then, I mean, safety has been a topic in string sports as of late um, with, you know, incidents with, you know, Becca and then USPA, right? People are safety concerned. Right. This in strongman is a safety concern that, I, again, I've seen time and time and time again. It's a real present danger to physical uh, health to a lot of athletes every weekend. I mean, I've seen everything, man. I've seen Hercules fall apart. Uh, um, uh, Hercules apparatuses fall apart and hurt people. I've seen uh, Atlas Stone platforms disintegrate. I've seen Atlas Stone disintegrate. I mean, it just it's yeah. it's just this over and over and over kind of I mean it's an overabundance of safety issues and it needs to be taken care of and yeah again I'm gonna keep talking about it um, it's nice to hear I think everybody t- typically agrees when they really understand the the situation behind the madness um, and something's got to give and and I really really hope that the people who make the decisions will step up um, and and start you know, uh, doing something about these safety issues and in, 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 um, being agents for real positive change all around so that everybody can have fun, but also be safe. And it's so, so important. So, Yeah, I mean, and it's also, it's kind of tough and strong, man, because, you know, as, as far as amateur strongman, you really only have two options. You know, you have USS or strongman court. You know, in powerlifting, it's like, pick three letters, it's, it's probably a, a federation. You know, it's right. like you <laughs> You have USAPL, you have APA, you have USPA, you have RPS, you have UPA, you have, uh, I mean, shit, I've, I've forgotten more than I've, you know what I mean? Like, there, but, There's a lot that you've never heard of, too, I guarantee Yeah, no, 100%. <laughs> but it's like, you know, if you have a bad experience in a federation in powerlifting, you're just like, well, I just won't compete for these assholes anymore. I'll start my own. Home, where are you going to go, you know? So it's like, yeah. so it's even more of a reason to, to hold these existing entities accountable because there's nowhere else to compete besides these two, you know? I mean, Absolutely. realistically, right? I mean, there's, there's a few, like, one-off shows that guys do, but for the right. most part, if you're going to want to try to compete at the national level or higher, you have to take the road of either USS or, or Strongman Corp. So, yeah. so, yeah, I definitely think it's a huge issue that needs to be addressed, and I, I, I think it's up, you know, at, at the end of the day, it's up to Willie and Dion, respectively, to make sure that their product is, is up to snuff and is a safe experience for all their athletes. So that's that's where the buck has to stop is at that, you know. One hundred percent, John. You've been real quiet this whole time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we didn't do trash or treasure, but we talked about a lot of trash. So <laughs> that's good. But yeah, I mean, I think there's literally, I mean, we've said it before. There's nothing in my life that I would pay a hundred dollars for and then like take shit about. Like, there's this right. weird idea that people. I think. I mean, everyone says it like. It's not a matter of if, but when you get hurt. It's like, yeah, car accidents happen, but I'm still going to wear my seatbelt and hope that there's speed limits and stuff. There's this bizarre idea that like anytime things come up, there's this kind of weird idea that, oh, I mean, it's a rookie mistake or these things happen or it's, you know, it's strong, man. And you're like, wait, you can't, there's only so many times that you can say, oh, this just happens because it doesn't happen. Like there are ways to test those things of like at this point, they're like, oh, we did have safety chains. If you look at them, they're like the links are maybe that big 
on something that's holding several hundred pounds. It's at least 500 pounds. You need to test that kind of thing going the opposite direction multiple times with maximal load. There's a reason why for like fishing and other safety things, if there's anything with chains involved, you say, what's the max load this is going to take? 2,000 pounds? You want a chain that's doing at least 4,000 pounds capacity. 100%. There's no way that you'd allow these weird things of like, Oh, I mean, like, I'm going to pull a boat behind my car. Like, I'll, I'll skimp a little bit on the chains that I'm going to use to attach it. Like, you wouldn't do that. But for some reason, we think it's appropriate to for these things to happen. And I know that it's kind of like the running joke is like strong man's a poor man's sport. But it's like these basic safety precautions aren't actually that expensive. Man, I'll tell you, if this is a poor man's sport, I'm doing it wrong. Because holy <laughs> shit, I... <laughs> Man, I've spent a couple bucks, but... Uh... Yeah, and I think that's the weird part to me is like there's kind of the meme of like it's a poor man's sport, but like tons of athletes pay tons of money and then you have promoters like cutting corners on things that... I mean, if you look at the comments on that post, you have a lot of people saying they don't want their relatives doing strongman anymore. They're nervous about their strongman. kids doing it. If I was a parent and I saw that happening and one of my kids was into strongman, I'd be like, hey maybe let's take a beat. Like maybe don't do a USS show. Like don't. And that's the weird thing that these people don't realize is it's a product. Like it's funny that if you have the least bit bad experience with Amazon, they'll almost instantly refund your money to like make it right. And then with Strongman, it's kind of like, well, I mean, these things happen. Rookie mistake. Yeah. My mother, in my, in my powerlifting career, I did 44 shows total. And I had to get to IPL Worlds in Vegas before my mother would come out to see a show because, like, it's not her thing. And, like, she doesn't like to see people, like, pushing their bodies to the max. Like, she doesn't watch, like, the Olympics. She doesn't, like, she just she just thinks that, like, humans shouldn't push themselves to, like, the edge of their physical capabilities. And, hey, that's her prerogative. But when I, when I qualified for Worlds, uh, my wife's parents were like, oh, we're going to come out and – I mentioned to my mother, I'm like, oh, yeah, Mike and Gail are coming out. And then she was like, oh, well, I guess we can come out. And I was like, okay. Like, if it's that, and uh, every attempt, like, I was like super laser focused in, but for, for my openers, I kind of like scanned the crowd, to, like, find my mother. And she was just like this the whole time. And I'm like, oh, fuck. So I can guarantee you right now. If I chose strongman before powerlifting and I was in, uh, a complete amateur in, in this sport and something like that happened and my mother was at the show, forget about it, man. She would fucking chain me up and throw me in the basement and tell me you're never leaving again. So, yeah, it's it's um, it's um, a really bad look, you know? And it just looks so bad. It, it, I, it does. And, I and just I mean, don't understand, though. There's so much going wrong with other sports and other federations right now. You think you'd want to be on your toes of, like, there's people worried about predatory coaches. They're worried about athletes. They're worried about safety. All these things. You're under a microscope right now. That's the time to improve these things. And, like, in powerlifting, I know how it is of, like, my wife seeing me at like shows, it does make you nervous seeing these things. And that's something that's a very controlled environment. There's this thing of like, you need the calibrated implements. You need all these things. And I think there is the excellent point you guys said of like, you need to be able to prove yourself to move up. Like as an athlete, you do that. Like you get better and better and you get more advanced. Your techniques get more advanced. It should be like that with promoters. If you can't run 
an entertaining show like our friend frank who does the behind the scenes for the show he did uh like amateur show unsanctioned last year that was super fun and it was yokes sandbag just your basic axle like 18 inch deadlift and it went off really well and it was run really well and i think there's this odd idea that for some reason you have to make it like a carnival and make things crazy for people to want to watch. And that's like, I can say from firsthand experience seeing like the rogue invitational, there are people out there who will watch people just doing pull-ups. Like they'll, they'll watch like it's powerlifting is a very simple three basic things and you still have audiences. But then it's like, for some reason with strongman, they're like, Oh, the reason people don't take us seriously is because we don't do enough goofy elevated things with weird janky equipment and it's like maybe maybe get the fundamentals down before you start doing these bigger things i don't know that's yeah I mean, doing like really creative weird stuff at like the rogue invitational is a far cry from yeah. like you know rhode island's strongest man let's have a you know push a truck up a ramp with no brake. you know what i mean like or whatever whatever dumb crazy dangerous shit someone could come up with so well, he's yeah. a truck up a ramp without brakes <laughs> <laughs> so i mean you know it's like, you know i uh I, I think that at the at the very basic level of the sport you should just have very basic events and allow people to you know because you know strongman really is a lot about learning how to manipulate yourself around the implements i mean you obviously have to be strong but if you don't know how to handle certain objects you know you, you're just not gonna that, that was the biggest challenge for me coming from powerlifting to strongman was i had all this raw strength but you know when i when i went from you know bench pressing a barbell with calibrated plates to having to like do an axle cleaner press with a fixed axle i'm just like what the fuck what is going on here you know and um and you know as you said until you until you master, you know, uh, log cleaning press, axle cleaning press, uh, deadlifts, squats, and stones, and some variety of front carry, you really don't have any business like doing all these other whacked out, you know, uh, circus type events. Uh, it's, that's just my opinion, but you know, you need to you need to learn you need to learn as an athlete how to keep yourself safe first. So that yeah. when you do run into these situations where someone puts you in a dangerous situation, you're at least able to kind of protect yourself and be like, okay, this isn't, you know, but, but if you're such an amateur that you're just, someone's like, you know, points to that and it's like, okay, we'll go do that. And you're like, well, all right, that's just a, a complete recipe for disaster, which, you know, as you said, like this guy at the, at the Hercules hold, like he, he should have known better than to, I mean, it just, it, it it still hasn't really sunk in the ridiculousness of the whole, <laughs> the whole aspect, man. You know, it's so. just so much worse to me that that it turned out that he was also the state chair. Like that just, and he said that, 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 that that was even that it even got to that point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, he shouldn't be the state chair anymore, in my opinion. You know, it's it's just like, dude, what the fuck were you thinking? You know, and and, and we all have, we all have brain farts, and we all have like, you know bad judgment calls, but that, that's just, that's just going beyond, you know, as you said, like you could have, I, I, I don't know how many people were at that show just from seeing that clip, 
but I'm assuming it was at least 50 to 100. I mean, 100 people could have just been forced to watch you die, you know? And then we'd really be having a much different conversation right now, you know? And it would probably be, you know, is the the USS about to be dissolved? So... And that's why we need to have these conversations now. You're absolutely right. Is uh, the the potential was there? The potential could happen. I mean, this could happen again, and somebody could die. We don't start talking about it and and making corrections now, right? It could be too late, and that's that's the place that we don't want to be. And you know, me, I'm a big big advocate. Well, it's not even at being an advocate. I mean, there's just there's no way. Anybody should be calling this an accident or a mistake because it was 100% avoidable. Um, and you know, Nico, working in, in, in a highly regulated industry, that if you if, if something like this happened, you know, somebody got you know hurt because of negligence, or even a safety issue, it doesn't even matter. If you walked into your boss and said, eh, "It was just a mistake," um, they're not going to they're not going to tolerate that. Um, people get fired all the time in the oil and gas industry where I spend a lot of time for, for coming in with such lame reasons for serious safety issues. Let, let me tell you something, man. When we get, when accountability. We get, boarded, when we get boarded by the Coast Guard at sea, they, they do not fuck around. If any of your safety shit is on a line, on a date, if you're missing anything, the fines for those violations are huge. And they should be. Because if you're out there and the shit hits the fan and you need, you know, survival suits, a raft, flares, and you don't have it, you're going to die. So, you know, those fines are thousands and thousands of dollars. And I'm fine with it because that's how it should be because that shit's going to save your fucking life, you know? And, you know, I don't know how you implement some kind of system like that in Strongman, but, you know, at the very least, the promoter of that show should be fined heavily or forced to resign from their position, make it their yeah. choice. So. I agree. Agree, hundred percent. You know, it's unfortunate. Uh, you know, I was talking a little bit in in uh, DMs with Emmanuel Pascari about this. You know, he commented, and we talked back and forth. And it sounds like in Germany, at least, there's actually uh, laws that regulate events like that. So by law, they have to um, follow certain safety standards, and and you know maybe Luke Davies can chime in, you know, let me know if I'm wrong here, but it looks like the UK also does as uh, some regulatory agency that oversees it. And I don't know about the rest of the world. The United States, as far as I can tell, does not. Uh, really? I don't know that OSHA would get involved because it's not, I, I don't know. I mean, it's still, it's still an organization and we still need, you know, some, con- there's a lot of concern for safety and health. So, I, I don't know, but I think it's worth uh, some research and finding out. Um, and, and, you know, if the organizers themselves and uh, the organizations themselves don't step up to it, I, I honestly think that it's time for, you know, some um, some bigger conversation and, and seeing if there's not regulatory agencies that can come in and force them to do it. And I'm, I'm willing to take that step. Uh, but at the end of the day, all the athletes need to start speaking up for each other and, yeah. and speaking up, period. Uh, and ensuring that that everybody's safe. I mean, uh, the thing that I loved about Strawman, the thing that drew uh, drew me into it back in 2008, was the camaraderie. Uh, everybody was there to help each other, um, no matter what, cheer each other on. Uh, we've got to be there, uh, having everybody's backs and making sure that they're not putting themselves in a situation that that can cause them harm, and you know, vice versa. 
Um, you, you're out there and you're at a competition, you see something like this, you, you got to say something and put an end to it. Like yeah. I, in, I don't know about in, in, uh, in fishing, Nico, but in oil and gas industry, they have something called stop work authority. Uh, and it gives everybody to the lowest man the authority to stop work if he sees anything safe for any reason without retaliation. Um, and, and I think uh, in Strongman, uh, we need to kind of uh, create that culture where everybody understands that they have the, the power to stop things when it looks unsafe. And let's talk about it um, and make sure that things like that do not happen again. Yeah, 100%. And the thing is, like, some sports are, do have regulations. The funny thing is in Texas, um, shout out to Big Tex and Rob and Astro, they've been trying to get combat sports like MMA to be allowed in Texas because Texas has a lot of, like, regulations. And I remember I was a volunteer at the USS Pro International. So it's, like, competition where people are doing, like, 1,000-pound yokes, all these things. I mean, we had some, like, EMTs on scene, but, like, nothing too crazy and then there's a big deal that afterwards there was supposed to be an MMA fight and it almost didn't happen because the state requires you to have an ambulance on scene and like a certain amount of like licensed doctors or something like all these things to make sure it's safe. And it was kind of funny to be like, wait, so you can like lift several hundred pounds above your head and you don't need an ambulance on scene, but like two guys like bare knuckle fighting, like that still is a big deal, but it was interesting just this, idea that i think sometimes there's just this thing of like strongman's kind of in its own little realm where somehow there aren't real world consequences for things that like other organizations actively experience and i think i think it kind of like it holds the sport back in a way of like not having these things of like you want to be taken seriously and to have a seat at the table you need to act serious of like federation powerlifting federations there are a dime a dozen but like if you don't run good shows and stuff your federation is just going to like fizzle out like there's a reason why like certain organizations survive and certain other ones don't and i think oftentimes the athletes are oftentimes like the last ones taken care of in certain instances and it's like they need to be the first priority of like, as like a show promoter, if you can find some way to get like event insurance for the athletes, these things that cover these things, because oftentimes you do have people getting injured and getting hurt in ways that are entirely preventable, especially once it comes to equipment. So I don't know. It's just interesting to see the difference of like having done powerlifting and strongman, seeing the differences there of how things are handled. And I don't know if I think, the best solution is for people to speak up and to like have higher standards. Like don't give people your money if they're not going to like treat you well. I don't know. It's the only thing that there are very few things in life that like you would continue to have a bad experience with. And you'd be like, well, I mean, it's the only restaurant in town. So I'll keep going. They always mess up my order and it's always a weird experience. And they take a hundred dollars from me. You'd be like, why are you doing that? But then we do that for these events. And at the end, We've talked about it before with coaches. As a coach, you're a customer service person. As a promoter, you're a customer service person. As an organizer and event pre- like federation president, you're in customer service. Like you're providing a service to people and you need to think of it that way just for your own success and everything. I think if people took things seriously as a business, 
you might do a bit better and hopefully your business gets better and things are good for everyone because a rising tide carries all ships. So I don't know. Those are my thoughts yeah. on that. We've uh, we've actually gotten way carried away with we did. <laughs> Don't burn up the whole hour doing it. We haven't, we haven't talked about Nico. Yeah, we definitely need to. But uh, yeah, I mean, we can we can kick that dead horse. I think we've all said. Uh, I mean, we're all in agreement. I think yeah. the yeah. community is going to agree, and hopefully, something good comes out of it. Let's talk about you, Nico. Sorry that went way way longer no, than I should have, but I mean, it's a good topic, and I'm glad yeah. that we talked about it. I think it's important enough that it, it warranted, uh, you know, a little bit of time. So not, not a problem at all. Yeah. Awesome, man. So tell us, like, I, I'm really interested, man. Uh, you know, you posted recently about your work with the Discovery Channel and shark research. Yeah. Um, I would love to hear more about this. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, um, when I was, I mean, just a, a real young kid, you know, seven, eight, nine years old. Uh, my father was actually a pioneer in um, tagging large pelagic uh, free-swimming fish. Um, we we were. My father was a, a bluefin uh, tuna harpooner, and in the nineties, uh, the scientists were saying that the populations were declining, and that there weren't enough fish to go around. And when we were harpooning fish back then we use spotter planes to, to find the fish because the planes can obviously fly a lot faster than the boats can go. So the planes would fly off and find the fish and the, the boats would come in and, and harpoon the fish. And when the scientists said that the stocks were down, the planes did an aerial survey and they took pictures of, I, I don't remember the number off the top of my head, but in like a three-day span, they took pictures of over 40,000 individual bluefin tuna and they brought the pictures to the scientists and they were like, you know, you say the stocks are down, but like we have all this evidence that there's, there's a ton of fish out there. And the scientists were like, well, we don't know if you're just photographing the same fish over and over again. We don't know if, you know, the fish were here and then they were there and you took pictures of the same groups. So, um, so in order to debunk that, we started tagging these fish and, and tracking them. Um, so that's how my father kind of got into it. And, uh, he did uh, a ton of work tagging bluefin tuna and basking sharks. And up until 2009, I believe it was, uh, a great white shark had never been tagged in the Atlantic, um, mainly because they were incredibly rare. Uh, they were never really um, – they, they don't spend much time at the surface in the open ocean. Uh, and the only time you really see them is when they, they come into shore for predation habits, which is mostly on seals and dolphins. Um, but it just so happened that one day, one of the, the tuna planes was flying in from offshore and saw a huge shark in like 10 feet of water off the backside of the Cape. And, uh, he called the, the DMF division of marine fisheries and the head scientist, his name's uh, Greg Stolmel. And Greg had been trying to tag a shark in the Atlantic for like 10 years. So we called him and he said, hey, Greg, I think that there's a great white off the back of the Cape. <clears throat> and uh, Greg was like, that's great. Can you come? Can, can I meet you in Hyannis and I'll hop in the plane? We'll go and we'll try to find him. And if I can identify it as a white shark, we can go out and try to tag it in the next few days. He was like, absolutely. So he landed. The scientists got in the plane. They went back up. 
And as they were going back down the beach to try to find that shark, they saw three more that were all identified as great white sharks. So the next day, we uh, we mobilized our, our harpoon boat, the Easy Does It, and um, we, we tagged the first shark. Uh, it was in September of 2009. Uh, that year, we were able to tag five sharks. And uh, so Greg took that to Discovery Channel and was like, hey, guys, we just did something that's never been done before. Would you like to make it a project? Um, they said yes. They came up with a ton of money because, you know, there's no money like Discovery Channel money, baby, you know? So, um, and then over the next several years, uh, we were able to tag over 70 individual uh, great white sharks. And uh, we did three shows on Discovery Channel. And we did all different kinds of projects. My, my favorite project, the last year we did the project was 2013. And uh, it was called uh, Operation Shark Cam. We had a, a six-foot torpedo that was outfitted with like six or seven different cameras and we would go up to the shark and we would tag the shark with a, a tag that was like a uh, it was like an acoustic pinger and then we put the torpedo in and the torpedo would triangulate where the pinger was and the torpedo would go up to the shark and swim along the shark and get all kinds of amazing footage of the shark it was just the footage that we got was absolutely amazing to be able to see you know, you look at the animal and you can see like uh, breeding scars and, you know, where they, they, they would try to attack a seal and the seal would claw its face. And it was just, it was so amazing. It was, I've always loved sharks ever since I was a kid. So that was like, uh, th th those yeah. five years were just like some of the most, the, the most amazing years of my life. It was awesome. So that sounds like an amazing, amazing experience. So, I mean, clearly, uh, I mean, being a fisherman, you you grew up next to the sea. You spent a lot of time on the sea. Um, I mean, it just sounds like a, a perfect uh, perfect fit for. Yeah, and I mean, I'll tell you, man. My, ever since I was a kid, my favorite movie's always been Jaws. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> that that first summer, because no one had any idea that these sharks were here, you know. And uh, that first summer, it was just like the movie Jaws, dude. I mean, we would tag sharks, and the media would be like waiting for us when we got to the dock. And the scientists would be like, don't say anything. Cause like, we don't want to panic the public. And uh, in the, in the first uh, discovery show that we did, uh, it was called Jaws comes home and we tagged a shark and we were tracking a shark and the shark is swimming right for a boat that has a guy in the water diving. And I'm like, I'm like so what, what do we do? You know? And we're like, well, we'll see how close the shark gets. And if he gets too close and I'm just like, this is crazy shit, man. Like I, I, you know, two years ago I was just pulling lobster pots and, and minding my own business. And now here I am, you've got police helicopters and like, you know, coast guard boats all around us. And we got discovery channel cameras. And it was just like, it's like, wow, this is, this is insane. So that's, that's wild, man. That is an amazing, amazing experience. Um, yeah, but I mean, how do you how do you actually warn the guy? I guess like the Coast Guard does zip out there as fast as they can. I mean, if the shark gets too close to the diver, I mean, what what do you do in that situation? I mean, you, can, you can just hail him on the radio on Channel 16. That's the the Coast Guard channel, so everyone stands by on that channel. Uh, to I'm, I'm, a land, I'm landlocked. I, I mean, yeah, obviously they have radios out of sea. I'm just like, <laughs> how do you contact I mean, him? I'm like, we don't have radios I mean, in our little lakes. Like, hey man, uh, you might want to get your guy out of the water. There's a 20 foot shark about to eat his ass, you know? So it was, uh, it was, it was crazy, dude. 
So, but yeah, great, great experience. Yeah. So now you, I mean, now you're a fisherman. What, what's like, what do you fish for uh, right now? Is it like there's a particular um, species of fish or do you do lobster? Is that what you're? Yeah, I, I mostly do lobster now. Um, I fished with my father up until 2014, 13, 14. And then I, I bought my own boat and went off on my own. Um, and yeah, I've just, uh, I mean, trap fishing is great because for me, I, I love, I love fishing. I love the ocean, but I also love strongman and I love training and yeah. any other kind of like, uh, like tuna fishing or cod fishing or anything like that. When you're, when you're trap fishing, I know that if I leave the dock, you know, at 4am, I can go get through 200 pots and be back in by mid afternoon and be able to get my training in, you know, if, if yeah. you go tuna fishing, you know, you, you could be, you're steaming all around trying to find fish. You could end up 70 miles offshore at the end of the day. And like, as much as I love the ocean, like my true passion is lifting heavy shit. So I, I kind of wanted to be in a fishery that was a little more um, regimented. Um, so that's, that's what I do. And, and, and I, I enjoy it a lot. Um, there's nothing else I'd rather do to, uh, supplement my strongman habit but uh but that's where the real fun is is uh competing so hell yeah hell yeah that's amazing man um i don't i don't want to jump over you john if you have any questions i've got more <laughs> i was about to say i was like as soon as there's fish talk that's like darren's jam of like he, he likes fishing so i was like this is gonna be good i fly fish i just catch yeah. little tiny trout like, I, I wait in streams <laughs> like big tuna I, I've honestly, I've, I've never gone freshwater fishing. It interests me huh. zero. Like I, had, yeah. like I, I have buddies that love it, and they're just like, "Hey, man, you want to go down to the pond?" And I'm like, "Man, on my days off, all I want to see is trees and dirt. I don't want to go. I don't want to go fish. I just, I just want to lift weights and and, and grill burgers, dude. You know, that's yeah, awesome. like I'm the opposite. I've never been. Uh, I mean, I've been on the ocean. I've never fished on the ocean, um, and I would love to someday. Yeah, yeah, man. If you ever if you ever out in Massachusetts, you're more than welcome to come out for a oh, day. Man. Hell yeah, dude! Uh, I would be out there for the for the fresh lobster, man. Let's go <laughs> yeah. up north. Our first yeah. time actually meeting in person should be up there. Yeah, um, that, and that's the uh, you know the a huge benefit of being a fisherman is uh, you know I, I eat a ton of fresh seafood, and I, I really think that you know I mean I don't want to get into it too much, but like most of the shit that you buy at the grocery store is just like it's shit, you know, it's garbage. Yeah. And I mean, I, I try to buy most of my meat off of a butcher and, you know, I, I obviously source all my own seafood. So it's like, you know, it's, uh, if you, if you want to be different as an athlete, you have to do something different with what you do, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I, I, eat, I eat a ton of lobster, I eat a ton of scallops and, um, I mean, I get them pretty strong. So I, I guess it's working. So yeah, it's definitely <laughs> I'm working. I'm very envious. Uh, I would love to eat lobster and scallops every day. <laughs> the one question I had was, you said you're getting ready for the Ragnarok games yes. in three weeks. How did that come about, or how are you feeling about the show? Uh, so I'd seen it, and I was kind of like, oh, it looks kind of cool. Um, but at the time, I was training for OSG and uh, – I was, I was, before I signed up for Ragnarok Games, I was going to make an attempt at the American deadlift record 
at uh, USS Northeast Record Breakers, which is uh, two weeks after Ragnarok games. Um, but the way that it turned out, uh, so I'm sure that you guys know that like Jacob Finnerty and I have like this little back and forth thing and Jacob signed up for the show. And when he put on his, his story, like he put some gimmick where it was like, Oh, the bears coming to the Ragnarok games. And so I, I looked up the show on, on iron podium and it said that registration was closed and the show was sold out. So, uh, so I, I just, I messaged the promoter and I was like, Hey man, um, I just want to know, like, you know, in the pro division, you know, there's always usually dropouts as the show gets closer. Is there like a, a, an alternate list or something that I could get on just in case like somebody drops out and he got back to me and like, like I hit send and he got back to me in like 17 seconds. And he's like, we would love to have you, please. Like, give me your information. Like, we'll get you right in. And I was like, oh, all right, sweet. And uh, so I was, I, was, I, was, I was out Christmas shopping at the mall. Uh, and I, I saw that and I was getting a slice of pizza in the food court. And from the time it took me to, like, order my pizza to get it to my table, like, I was already registered and, like, all my information was already in. And he was like, this is going to be a great show. Like, thank you so much. So really, uh, I mean, the main draw that got me to the Ragnarok games was, you know, I've, I've supposed to have competed against Jacob twice now. And he always either, you know, he pulls out or whatever. But uh, so when I saw an opportunity to actually make it happen, I was like, fuck yeah. So like an hour after he posted that he uh, was in the Ragnarok games, I then subsequently posted, hey, Jacob, got an early Christmas present for you. Just signed up for Ragnarok games. So uh, make sure your hamstring's 100%. So better not pull out. <laughs> yeah, better, better not pull out, which is funny because then at ASM, he pulled out of ASM. And uh, and I, I was at the Olympia. Uh, we did the um, Stan Efforting World's Strongest Gym Contest. But I, I caught most of ASM. And when he pulled out of ASM, I go backstage. And I kind of give him a look. And I'm like, so you're still doing Ragnarok games, right? And he's That's like, funny. yeah, uh, you know. We'll see how the hamstrings feel and da, da, da. so like every week I've been like messaging him and I'm just like, So how you doing? You good? And he's like, Yeah, man, I'm gonna and then he said he said something like three weeks ago about like how, you know, things weren't really progressing. And I messaged him and I'm like, Don't you dare, you motherfucker. You better not put and he's like, No, dude, I'll be there, I'll be there. So you just, you just need to create some classic Eddie Hall and Oberst drama on on the socials, man, in, in public uh, to make him feel like he has to go. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I I, uh, I just think that uh, he 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 called me uh, the the Joker to his Batman, uh, but if anybody's the clown, it's him. Uh, but I, you know, I, I I actually I get along with Jacob really well. You know, I, I do like the guy. He's an incredibly talented strength athlete. He's super yeah, strong. Um, but it's just like I I would really I, I want to test myself against really strong guys. You know, um, and you know on on that lineup, you know you got a lot of really good international guys. You have you have Tiago coming from Brazil. He's a stud. You know, you have Tim Buck, who uh, he took fourth at OSG. Um, you have uh, John Lester, who's the guy that beat me at 2021 Nationals. So I've, I've always wanted to even the score with him. He's ducked me like a motherfucker ever since, too. Um, I'm forgetting. Uh, Travis Ortmeier, 
he's a legend, you know. Oh, yeah. um, so, so to have an opportunity to compete against a crop of guys like that, um, you know, and and uh, Steve Tripp just jumped in, and you know, we've always kind of we've had a great friendship, and um, but there's always kind of been that like, you know, he he owns Top Strength, and you know, I, I train there a lot, and you know, everybody that goes to Top is kind of like, well. Whatever happened if Steve and Nico went head to head? So, and now we're going to get the answer. So I'm I'm super stoked about it. It's, it's going to be great. It so. sounds like it's going to be a great, a great, great show. And I mean, Ragnarok. That's like how many? There's like a lot of events to that show, isn't there? It's like yeah. So um, so it's ten events across two days, um, which is a lot. And just the the type of events that they are. Do you guys remember in 2008 and 2009, there was that show uh, for Tismith overseas? Oh, yeah. It, it's it's very, like, it's very similar to that in the fact that, like, not only is there a ton of events, but there's no, like, there's no, like, give me events. Like, there's no, like, sandbag toss over bar or, or, or like, you know, uh, grip event. Like, all the events are super fucking heavy. They all look like they're going to suck. And... I mean, I love it because it's just going to come down to like who wants it most at the end of the day. Because the the on the second day, the second to last event, the ninth event, is an eleven hundred pound yoke, and I'm like, wow, that that's and that's going to be after uh, an eight hundred deadlift for reps, four hundred pound farmers, uh, three fifty log for reps, a four hundred pound stone for reps. Uh, what I mean, it's just everything's super heavy, you know. So by the time we get to this 1100 pound yoke, it's going to be like, what the fuck, you know? So, um, yeah. I mean, coding for Tismas, uh, you coaches Derek Poundstone. So you've got, you got somebody that's got that kind of experience. I mean, one of the greatest, uh, examples of strength and strongman. One of my favorite moments in strongman was, uh, for Tismas when he loaded that 500 pound Natty stone. Yeah. Uh, do it was one of the most insane and amazing uh, feats of strength I've ever seen in my life. So you got, I mean, obviously a great coach uh, in your corner to help you. Uh, Dude, I'll tell you, one, one, of my, one of my favorite Derek Poundstone stories was uh, when I was when I was training for OSG this year. Um, he arranged for us to uh, go out to Springfield College and train at um, their athletic facility. That's where uh, – Rob Kearney, he's a he's a graduate of Springfield. Okay. So Rob, Rob was training for uh, the Rogue, and I was training for OSG. So Derek's like, let's let's meet up out there, and we'll just fuck shit up. And I was like, that sounds awesome. So our deadlift days, we'd go out to Springfield College, and um, so we we did some deadlifts, and then we moved into uh, belt squats, and I I think there was like six hundred pounds or something on the belt squat. And uh, so Derek belts in and he just starts going and he's going and he's going and he's going. And my, my wife left, took a piss and came back and Derek was still squatting. And she's like, is this the same set? And I'm like, yep. And Rob's like, he's such a sick fuck. Like, why would you do that to yourself? You know? So <laughs> he, he racks it. Right. And, uh, he turns around and he's like, and I don't know if you've met Derek, but he's like one of the most soft-spoken dudes in the world. Like no, I've never met that person. He turns around and he's just like, all right, you're, you're set. And I'm like, <laughs> Gr 
awesome, great. So I put in my mouth guard and I look at him and I was just like, how many did you get? And he goes, oh, come on. I, I never kiss and tell. I was like, fucking okay. So I just start squatting and I'm like, all right, well, I just, I, I gotta get, I gotta get as many as I can because like, you know, I can't, you know, it's, I mean, if you're going to get beat by Derek Poundstone, like there's no shame in that, but like you, you got to go down swinging, you know? Absolutely. And uh, so I figured I'm like, he was squatting for like two straight minutes. So he, he had to have gotten at least 50, you know? So my, my goal was 51. Right. And as I'm, as I'm belting in, he looks at me and he goes, he goes, let me, let me give you a piece of advice. He goes, you can't control how many reps you have but you can control how many reps you want. So don't let your mind quit before your body. And yeah. I was like, all right, no problem. So I start going and I'm, I'm just right around like 20 or 25, like my hamstring starts cramping up and like, and then my quad starts cramping up. So like I can't rest at the bottom or the top. Cause like, I got to keep moving. Cause when I stretch out my quad, my hamstring starts. Cramping. And it was, it was miserable. And uh, I just kept going and, go, and I like, grinded out the last rep and I literally like my legs just stopped working. I collapsed. He was fine, by the way, he's walking around like nothing ever happened. <laughs> and uh, so I looked at him and I, and I go, I go, how many, how many did you get? And he goes, I got 50 and I spit up my mouthpiece and I go 51. And he's like, <laughs> oh, good job. And then he like walks off and does like fucking Zercher squats. I was done. I'm like, all right, I'm going home after this. This was just so yeah. So as far as as far as training, I guess the term like train insane, you know, um, he uh, he's the king of that, and you know, he he nobody can get me to do crazy shit like that guy, you know, um, and, and I think you know him being my coach, even just the you know the way that he programs shit, you know, I'll look at it and I'll just be like. Oh Jesus Christ, you know. But then, as I'm as I'm going through it, you know, you, you as a student of Derek Poundstone, like I, I myself, like I, I take that pretty seriously. As you know, he doesn't really have too many clients, like other than Rob and I. Like he doesn't train like any other pros. And to be like a Derek Poundstone guy is a, a pretty big deal to me. And you know, I I uh, I always want to have the reputation of just not being a quitter because Derek was never a quitter and I would never want, you know, his name to be sullied by one of my performances. So that's why like every time I step out there, you know, whether I'm hurt or I'm sick or, you know, uh, it's just like, you know, I, I, I got hurt in the first event at OSG and, you know, guys were like, are you going to pull out? And I'm like, no, I'm fucking here. Like I might as well give it my best, you know? It's like I, I I got COVID last week and guys are messaging me. Are you going to pull out a Ragnarok games? I'm like, no. What, what? you know, like that's not in my nature. Like I'm not going to pull out. I'm I'm going to show up and give it everything I have. And regardless of how the chips fall, like I can be happy with the way that I performed and the effort that I gave. Fuck everybody else. And if that's yeah. good enough to win, awesome. And if it's not, at least I can be happy about the effort that I put forth. Um, and that's just kind of my outlook on the sport and it's served me pretty decently thus far. So I guess that's what we'll keep doing. So. Yeah. Hell yeah, man. I mean, that's the way you, that's where you gotta be. Um, I'm the same way too. And that's always kind of tell like novices and I mean, just about anybody around me. Like if you want to be good at something, I mean, you've got to find that level in yourself that 
Uh, there's no quit. And when things like, I mean, like Poundstone said, when you get to that point where your, your body, your mom, you know, wants to quit, you've got to dig really deep and find a way to overcome it. That's how you win big shows. Right. Um, right. You know, and that's, uh, you know, you get into these shows, I think Ragnarok pays pretty well, doesn't it for first. So, um, 20 grand. So yeah, that's a couple bucks. So it's a couple bucks. So, I mean, that's the time to, to really we, find it, you know, we, really we've also gotten yourself like, to, We've gotten like the little the little French tickler that if if the pay per view really takes off, then money will be added to the purse. But I you know I never bank on any of that. Like you know if they sell you know ten thousand pay per views, you know what what am I going to get like ten bucks in a meatball sub? You know so it's like <laughs> man, just, that's just, ten dollars in a meat sub, but meatball sub you didn't have before though. That, so. <laughs> that is true though, and I do love meatball sub, so I'd be more than happy to accept it, but. You know, but I mean, I'm I'm not I'm not banking on any of that. It's it's great to have like a, you know, a back end deal kind of feel to a show because it's very rare that anyone does that. But uh, but just uh, you know, when it comes to strongman, you know, it's almost like the 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 norm in the sport is to like you know, be happy when you actually get paid what you're supposed to get paid. You know, because a ton of these promoters are are fucking shisty as fucking. You know, either it's all oh, well. This deal went through, and we uh, we can't come up with the funds here. So it's like, you know, dude, that's we're gonna file that, and they're not my problem. You advertise a certain prize pot, and you have an obligation yeah. to pay it. You know, so so 100%. as long as as long as the podium gets paid what was advertised for the prize purse, I'll be a happy guy. So yeah, oh yeah, man. Well, we wish you the very best at that show, man. Um, so do you have like any plans for um going for the record again? I mean, you said it's a little too, you know, it's not going to work out this next time, but um, what are the plans for the future? Yeah, so um, I was actually, so uh, John Lester is running USS Nationals this year in June, and he contacted me about possibly going for the record there. Um, and like I've told anybody else, I'm like, you know, I'd love to go for the record, but like I would never disrespect Jerry and try to break his record for free, you know? It, it's just not... I, I think it would be disrespectful a, as a pro. What makes you a pro is that you get paid to do something, you know? Okay. And, you know, and, and it's not like I'm asking for like, you know, I, I mean, when, when Eddie broke the world record, he wanted a hundred grand, you know? I mean, if I break the American record, I, just, I want like five grand, you know? And I think the American record is worth $5,000, you know? And um, every time money comes up, guys are just like, Oh, well, you know, um, we'll try. And that, and that's the end of the conversation. And it really sucks because I mean, I, I, I'm a much better strength athlete than I was two years ago. I know I can pull a thousand. Um, I'm very confident that I can pull the, the record, which is a, a thousand twenty six right now. Um, I, I would, I would, I would want to break the record by at least 2.5 kilo, uh, which would be a thousand thirty one because I think breaking records by a pound is bullshit. Um, and, and, and realistically it sucks because I, I wish a promoter would give me the opportunity to do this in contest because this is what's holding me back from competing at Giants in the, in the, in the uh, world deadlift championships. You know, I mean, you can do shit in the gym and you can talk about doing shit, but until you do it on the platform, it really doesn't mean anything, you know? So I would love to get the opportunity Anybody within the sound of my voice that wants to pay me to do it, I don't care what the three letters of your federation are. As long as it's on a, on a deadlift bar with calibrated kilo plates, um, I, will, I will take a crack at it. 
because I, you know, I, I, one of my, one of my dreams and my goals in my career is, is to compete at the world deadlift championships. I don't, yeah. I don't think there's any argument that I've proven that I'm one of the best deadlifters in the world. And, um, I want an opportunity to show it on the world level and whatever I have to do to do that. But I'm, I'm just, I'm not going to do it for free out of respect for Jerry. Um, so we'll see. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, but, I think that's fair. That's fair. I mean, I've been, I've been saying, you know, toting that, that uh, line for a long time that pros need to get paid. That's the point of being a pro. Right. Um, so yeah, there's uh, nothing wrong with that whatsoever in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, and I, I think that, you know, we'll, we'll see how Ragnarok shakes out. Um, but after that, if I if I don't get any immediate offers to chase the deadlift record, uh, I'll, I'll probably make a push to uh, either do the, uh, the Shaw Classic or try to get into the uh, Amateur Arnold for next year and try to win that to get to the Pro Arnold. Um, that's kind of my trajectory right now. Um, you know, what, what I do love about Strongman is that there's – you know, there's so many avenues now to get to bigger shows. Um, and it's, it's really, uh, it, it's good because it gives, there, there's a, there's so much talent right now, you know, coming up and yes. um, it's like, you really have, you've got like the top 10 guys in the world. And then right below them, there's like a hundred guys that are all like just about there. And right. we can all beat each other on any given day based on the events, you know? Um, so as far as trying to get to bigger shows, it's, it's great now that, you know, you, you, it used to just be, you know, you had Worlds and then you had the Arnold. You know, now you have, you know, the Shaw Classic, the Rogue Invitational. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a bunch of other international shows that are, that are starting to pop up. And even in the, in the weight class shows, you know, you're starting to see uh, a lot more opportunity. You know, Luke's running that show for the under-90s out there. That show looks like it's going to be awesome. It's going to be um, awesome. And even, you know, for the women, you know, there's a lot more opportunities for the women, uh, the, the uh, pro women at the Arnold this year. They're going to be doing the same event as the men. The prize money is like 75 grand. It's great. You know, the, the way the sport is growing um, and the direction that it's going in, I think, is an incredibly positive direction uh, for all of us. And I, I do think that it's great that, um, you know, it's, I, I always wanted to be an open competitor. I mean, I don't think I could, I'd have to saw off a leg to get to 231, but um, I always wanted to be the biggest, strongest guy that I could and compete against the other biggest, strongest guys and see who the biggest, strongest guy is. But, you know, when you look at other guys that are incredible athletes, like you look at like Nikolai, Nikolai's never going to, I mean, come on, you know, I mean, he's never going to be never even going to be a middleweight, never mind a super, you know? So it's yeah. like for, for those Smaller you're, you're class, Nick, Nick Myers, right? Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. We, <laughs> fucking <laughs> <on it>. um, <laughs> and uh, and he, I mean, for, for those guys to be getting the opportunities that they are now with these weight class shows, it, it, it's awesome, you know. And I think that you know it, it should get to a point where you know the 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 women and and the weight class uh, divisions, you know, have just as much clout and notoriety as 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 the open. I mean, it's, it's, it's always going to be tough because, you know, the general public, they want to see the biggest, strongest guys lifting the biggest, heaviest things. But, Absolutely. you know, the, the, way that, uh, the way that they set up Clash, where it's much more of like an athletic-based kind of, you know, exhibition thing, it just gives them like their own niche kind of deal where it's, it's entertaining and it's strongman, 
but it's not like, um, you know, you're, you're never going to have a middleweight, you know, uh, out deadlift or, or out, I mean, as much as, you know, look, Nick Camby's the best middleweight in the world, right? And even he, at 231, like, He's never going to outlog press the You know what I mean? I mean, if he if he would have just stayed 105 for one more show against against Emmanuel Piscari, like I'm not debating that Cammy's not up there one or two. I wanted to see that competition so much to determine because I mean, you know, Emmanuel Piscari now has the uh, the world record for the for the log. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's insanely fast with heavy yokes. I mean, he's a powerful, powerful guy. Um, man, I wish that, that, that matchup could have happened. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, um, obviously I'm a, I'm a candy guy, but, um, if you ask, if you ask Andrew Clayton, he's better than both of them. So, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Hey, Andrew Clayton, uh, really proved himself at OSG this year. I, I mean, it's, uh, I would love to see him matched up against, uh, Camby or Emmanuel Pascari too. I mean, it's not often you see somebody come in and dominate that field of athletes with that large of a gap at the end, very damn often. And, and Andrew Clayton really showed, uh, you know, that he deserved that win this year. So, I mean, we got to hand it to him. I mean, you can hand that to him. I'm not, I'm not going to hand much else to him, but. Whatever. <laughs> not an Andrew Clayton guy. So, hey, uh, you want, we're you not. We're not. Opinion, none of us are everybody's cup of tea. Yeah, that's my hot opinion. So, <laughs> so here, here's here's the thing I'll say. Here's my piece. If you break the American record and you follow us on Instagram and follow me, I'll pay you fifty cents per pound lifted if you can break the American record. And I want that in writing. Wow. Which American record? Personally. Which American record? Okay, I just want to clarify. Yeah, I want it on here for the record. And, yeah, I promise it's going to happen. If you can, the WSO, that we're behind you. All right. If if you can do 505 kilos, then that might start to get a bit pricey. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm a little ways off from 505. Um, You know, uh, I I think uh, I I did the – I think 466. 467.5 467.5 is 1031. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll hit that first before we try to try to go for the world records. Um, but, yeah, uh, but I'm no, I, serious, I, I, I very, I very much appreciate that. And um, you know, I just, but you know, I think that while that offer is great and like, I appreciate that so much, <laughs> I, I, it's, it's almost like embarrassing that we're at the point in the sport where like guys have to start like grassroots, you know, crusades to try to raise money to break records. You know what I mean? Like what, where, where, what, you know? So, um, but yeah, I'll, I'll hold you to that for sure. So. <laughs> Definitely. I believe in you. Thank you. I, mean, I really appreciate that. The, the fact is the Starman is still a fledgling sport. Yeah. It's been around for, you know, whatever, 40, 40 years, 40 plus years. But, I mean, in a lot of ways, it's still a fledgling sport. I mean, you know, it started out as a, just nothing more than uh, entertainment on TV. That's what World Strongest Man really still is. Right? Yeah. They film, edit, and release for entertainment. Um, that's always been their business model. And so we are still kind of a fledgling sport. And there's still a lot of growth. And like you said, the growth is getting uh, – to me, the real growth is happening. I've always said that, that growth isn't more competitors – 
right? Paying more money to the organizations. It's bringing real money from sponsors in and paying the athletes, right? And, and the only way to do that is to grow the audience. So the fact that there's more money coming in, it shows that the audience is growing. That's positive growth. That's good pro growth, but we still got a long ways to go, I think. Um, but it's growing in the right direction. Um, and hopefully- I mean, it's great because it's like some of the guys that I look up to and I talk to, you know, obviously I, I talked to Derek a lot. I talked to Laws. And, um, you know, we just, we just had uh, Britain's strongest man a couple of days ago. And, you know, Laws is talking about, like, how the first time that he won Britain's, he got paid like a thousand bucks. You know what I mean? So to yeah. see how far the sports come in just like 10, 15 years, you know, where now you're talking about, you know, all the, all the pro shows, you know, of the, the big three or four, you know, they, they all have six figure payouts which is incredible, yes. you know, it's in, that's, that's how it should be. You know, if you're going to be, if you're going to have a sport that you want people to take seriously and you have these guys and literally investing their lives into becoming the best in the world at something and you achieve that goal and you're the best in the world and the payouts like 30 grand, how do you expect anyone to take us seriously? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the, the best baseball players in the world, make 30 grand a fucking pitch, you know? So it's like, so, <laughs> but, yeah. so they also have a much broader audience, right? And so oh, that's like, yeah. to, to me, I mean, strongman's going in the right direction, needs to continue growing the, the sport uh, or growing the audience. The the pots are going to grow, obviously, but, but you know, uh, it's coming. And like, you're, you're right. I mean, the UK, man, they draw some huge, huge crowds. It's crazy. Yeah. They fill stadiums. Yeah. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. So they're doing something right over there. Uh, you know, I think promoters on this side of the pond probably could learn a lot from them. Um, I mean, they're doing better, but, but I mean, they need to tap into that, uh, that marketing strategy, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so the, uh, the promoter of, of Ragnarok games, uh, uh, Ralph Avalon, you know, I've talked to him a couple of times on the phone and that, that's kind of the giant's model is kind of what he's trying to base this off of where, he, you know, he, uh, he's got a ton of other shit at the show. It's, it's kind of like a sports festival. And he, um, he got, uh, shit. What's his name? Uh, that Viking rock guy, uh, uh Peyton Parrish. Um, he, he does like the Assassin's Creed, uh, theme and all that shit. Yeah. And, um, so, so he, what he's trying to do is he's trying to get people to come that are not like strongman fans and introduce the sport to a fresh set of eyes and have it be like a spectacle and have people that have never seen the sport kind of get into it and be like, wow, this is, this is really cool shit, you know? So I do appreciate his, you know, his goal and his vision. We'll see how well he executes. That's we'll find out on game day. Um, But you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I told him, I'm like, man, I'm going to show up. I'm going to, I'm going to give it my best and uh, just make sure to put a microphone in front of my face from time to time. And I'll make sure people have something to talk about. So. Yeah, and it, dude, and I'm I'm such a. It drives me nuts actually a little that that uh, on stateside here, we're just not getting those athlete interviews very much, and, oh, and I think they're so critical to to the audience, uh, the connecting with the audience and that audience engagement. I mean, I mean, I they need to start putting microphones in front of faces after events, man. Everybody. Oh, not, so just, not just one or two. Don't just pick the favorites. Like, start interviewing everybody and engaging that crowd. That's what they want. Well, when you look at ASM this year, you know, 
it was at the Olympia. Okay, so you have America's strongest man, with a, a, an incredible lineup of athletes. You know, you had Trey there, Bobby, uh, you know, Cotton Crowder, uh, Claiborne, just just I mean, all just top top of the line athletes, and uh, Jacob was there too. But uh, regardless, and so you have this very unique opportunity when you're at the Olympia Expo. Why do people come to the Olympia? Not to watch strongman. They come for bodybuilding, you know? And yeah. you're at the Expo, and there's 100,000 people, and you have this unbelievably unique opportunity to introduce strongman to new eyes and, and, and new people that have never seen the sport before. And in my opinion, they completely dropped the ball. I mean, they weren't doing interviews, and when they did do interviews, there was a there was an instance that after the deadlift event, uh, Bobby Thompson won. It was a, a frame deadlift for reps. Bobby right. won. They asked Bobby for an interview. He didn't want to do an interview. Okay, whatever. Um, so they they asked Austin Andrade to do an interview, and so he comes up and you know, right in the middle of the convention center, they put the microphone in his face, and they're like, so. Uh, you know, uh, how do you feel about that event? Uh, well, uh, it went it went pretty good. Um, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm really happy to be here. And I'm just sitting there in the front row, like, biting my fucking lip off. And I'm like, dude, this is your opportunity to make yourself famous. Oh, you know, so it's just like, the, the, you will never have a better opportunity for self-promotion and to make yourself money as when you get a live microphone in front of a huge crowd or a yeah. TV audience. It is a, that 30 seconds can change your life and guys drop the ball in strong men on a daily basis doing it. And the formula is there. They've seen it happen. They've seen Eddie. They've seen, you know, they've seen how he parlayed that. They've seen what Evan Singleton's doing right now. It's like, yeah. come on guys. And you don't, you don't have to, don't get me wrong. Like you don't have to be like a loud mouth prick, but yeah. what, you, what you have to do is you have to get people to become emotionally invested in you in some way that they want to take their wallet out and spend money to come back and see you. And however you do that is completely your business. But the last thing you can do is go, because uh, 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 then you're just going to put people to sleep, which is what yep. most of these guys do. And it drives me fucking crazy. So that's my, like, that's my rant on that. I think part of it is uh, the, they don't, they're not ready for it. And because it's so uncommon in this, in this country, um, and, you know, the promoters need to probably do a little bit better job, too, and prime them and get them ready for it and say, this is what's going to happen. I mean, um, it helps a lot. You know, I mean, I've been overseas and been interviewed. And when you're ready for it and you kind of you just have like some planned dialogue or whatever, just ready to say something, you just got to you just got to do what every other athlete in pro sports has ever done in front of a microphone. You don't even have to sound really intelligent. You just say some things and and be confident and people are going to love it. Well, and that's the, you know, th that that's what I've, I've always preached as far as, you know, people think that it, it is obviously very important to be a competent, good athlete. But yes. when you look at, when you look at any megastar in any sport, you could make an, who, who's the greatest MMA fighter of all time? You can make an argument for GSP, Anderson Silva, uh, you know, Khabib, who's the richest? No argument. It's Conor McGregor. Why? Because of this. Yeah, that's it. 
That was the first. That was the first thing when I when I did SEL in 2018. One of the first things that the uh, um, the director of their um, camera crew told me uh, before I was interviewed, he said, "Being a great athlete is is good and all, but athletes are made in front of the camera." 100. percent Yeah. Yeah. And, and stars are made in front of the camera. You know, and exactly. that's what, and that's you know why, you know, as you said, you know, world's strongest man at the foremost is a TV show. It's about entertainment. It's about ratings. It's about selling tickets. It's about, you know, so, and, and that's what I think guys forget about this business is that it is a business and a business needs to make money. And the way that you make money is drawing people to the business and making them pay to want to see you. And so, you know, when you do get that, you know, I mean, Evan Singleton and I get along really well because I think that we, we both kind of understand that coming from an entertainment background mm-hmm. and, you know, while I, I don't, I don't, I don't particularly agree with um, Evan's incredibly brash, uncreative way of doing it just by calling everyone a, a bitch and a retard. Like anybody can do that. That's cheap heat, you know? Um, <laughs> but he, he, he has like the, the right idea about what he's doing. He just needs to get a little better at, and doing it, you know. Yeah. So, and it's so funny because he's such a, a nice guy in person. Oh, <laughs> dude, when that camera turns off, he is literally the nicest dude in the world. He, yes, uh, I, I just, I just spent three days with him. He's literally like, he, he's like a six foot six man child. I yeah. mean, we went out to dinner. He literally ordered four orders of chicken nuggets, and I'm just like, <laughs> dude, are you fucking serious? And then I, I order a salad, and he's giving me shit. I'm like, come on, bro, what the fuck? He's like, I'll have your rabbit food. I'm like, I'm having a steak too, brother. But, you know, I don't want to die at 40 of a fucking heart attack because I'm eating four orders of chicken nuggets drowned in fucking honey mustard, you know? So, And then, and then for the, the next day, we were at the gym, and I'm like, hey, man, you want to get some lunch? He's like, yeah. What do you want? He goes, uh, extra large ham and cheese sub with double ham, double cheese, and that's it. And I'm like, you don't want, like, lettuce or tomato or onion? Or-? Nope just ham and cheese, a ton of ham and a ton of cheese. And I'm like, wow, you are, <laughs> you are 12 years old. <laughs> like my dad used to always say, when I complain about he, he eats, he would just ask me, he's like, who's eating it? It's funny too, because it's like, you know, Evan's, Evan's about six years younger than me. And, uh, you know, he's just one of those guys where like, you know, he trains really hard and, you know, he is very active, but I'm just like, God damn, man. You know, like I, I, I eat fucking ground beef and rice and salmon and fish and all that shit. And, you know, I, I got to work my ass off to even get a, a vein in my fucking bicep. This guy eats chicken nuggets and ham sandwiches. He looks like he just fucking stepped off stage. You know, I'm like, God damn you. So, but regardless, works for him. So. Yeah. <laughs> Some some people are blessed. Yeah, yeah. Some people are blessed. I mean, I feel blessed enough being able to deadlift as much as I do. So I'll I'll, I'll take that as my my blessing. Everything else is a bonus. So strongman, strongman is not a beauty contest. At the end of the day, so you're doing Thank something right. God, um, yeah. you're doing it well. And yeah, man, we're uh, John. You've been quiet again a long time. <laughs> we we've been talking again. I think uh, we're coming up on an hour and 40 minutes. Which is good. Which is good. 
Yeah. You know what? I think people just need that practice. And I think the great point you mentioned was the Conor McGregor thing of like, I mean, literally one of the world's most recognized powerlifters on the internet is Larry Wheels. And it's like, his numbers are pretty impressive, but it's still like, I mean, you see other people of like, I don't know, Kyriakos Grizzly, one of the most well-known Greek athletes, doesn't compete in anything. He's just famous on the internet. And it's like, just... Yeah, I mean, you definitely, you need to, you need to be able to back up what you say. And if you have a huge mouth, like imagine if Conor McGregor talked all that shit and then went out there every fight and got knocked out in 10 seconds. No, nobody would give a shit who he is. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it, when you, I mean, when you, you talk about like a guy like Evan, you know, Evan talks a bunch of shit and then he goes out there and like, well, except at Worlds, we'll see how he does this year. But for the most part, he goes out there and backs it up. So, you know, when, when you do have that ability to, to be entertaining and you back it up with athletic ability, that's that very special combination where, you know, and at Ragnarok Games, I hope to be able to show, you know, that, you know, I, I, I have I have a, a mouth and I can actually back it up with what I do on the platform, you know. So I'm, I'm extremely excited. And, uh, you know, it sucks that, you know, I, I uh, this, this whole COVID bout is at an incredibly inopportune time. But uh, I got an depressing workout today and I, I don't think it's going to hinder me too much. I feel like by the time the show rolls around, I should be in, you know, somewhat top form. And, um, you know, I, I definitely, uh, I mean, my, my, my biggest goal for the show is obviously just to, uh, to win the deadlift event. And, um, you know, I'd like to get six to eight reps with 800 pounds. It's a no, no suits. It's all, it's raw. It's so, all raw. Um, so yeah. So six or eight reps raw with 800 is, uh, the, that's, it's going to be a grinder, but I, I think I can get it done. So that dead stop up and down commands, dead stop up and down commands. It's, uh, gonna be awesome yeah That's so gonna be amazing. I, I, I'm, I'm fully i'm fully expecting out of the pro guys it's so funny too because like you think of like you know the the level of pros um there's still a lot of pros that can't deadlift 800 pounds you know right. um and and i fully expect there to be a, a handful of zeros in the deadlift you know sure. and i think there's there's going to be a lot of guys that tie around two or three and i realistically think that um you know, Tiago's a, a pretty good deadlifter, but I don't think he has much more than three or four. Jacob, if his hamstring is good, he's deadlifted 900 raw. Um, so I think he, he might have four or five. And, and I, I honestly think that it's as crazy as it's going to sound and people might roll their eyes. But my biggest contest in the, in the, in the deadlift is going to be Steve Tripp. I mean, yeah. Steve, he's a hell of a deadlifter. He's a really – he's a light, super heavy – I mean, he's he only weighs 275 pounds. Yeah. But his deadlifting ability is – you know, he he's – I've always been a, a better deadlifter than him, but it's never been like I blow him out of the water, you know? Like I'll, I'll beat him yeah. by a rep or I'll beat him by, you know, 40 pounds on, on, on a max or something like that. But, you know, he's um he's going to be right in the game on that event, you know? So I'm, I'm excited for him. Yeah. Well, we're excited to see it too. Um, when – what's the date? Oh shit! Yeah, to ask. Um, it is uh, February twenty fifth and twenty sixth, I believe. It's the, oh, the, the last the last weekend in February. Um, okay, that's right around the corner. That's coming fast. Yeah, it's coming real fast. It's uh, we got three three training weeks left, and uh, we're gonna fly out Wednesday, get down to Miami, and acclimate, um, compete on the weekend, and then we're gonna kind of mess around on Monday and Tuesday. And then we're going to fly right from Miami to Columbus for the Arnold. 
and uh, you know, spend that weekend in Columbus. So uh, we got a real busy couple weeks coming up. And then, as I said, the, the week after the Arnold, we have the USS uh, Northeast Record Breakers at, at top strength. So we have competitions three weeks in a row. I'm, I'm not going to compete at the record breakers. I'll, I'll probably judge, but uh, still, we got we had a lot going on. So excited! Well, sounds great, man. Um, you know, make sure if you're if you're doing any promoting for the like individual promoting for the show, tag WSO. Um, you know, we'll be happy to share and and help get exposure for it. I mean, it's only going to help. Uh, especially, you know, if uh, they do come through with uh, uh, additional payout for the pot, right? <laughs> hey man, I, I need that meatball sub, brother. Come on. Gotta have that meatball sub. So anything yeah. we need to help, man, you know, don't be afraid to reach out, tag us, um, and and kind of wrap it up here. Where can people find you, Nico, on the socials? Uh, well, I just mostly use my Instagram, which is at Greek Eliot. Um And, uh, yeah, that's uh, everything you need right in that little uh, – <laughs> little social media bubble so awesome man well it was a pleasure having you uh i think it's time to wrap it up we've been talking for an hour and 40 minutes awesome, uh, man. yeah super awesome to have you man uh we wish you all the best at, at ragnarok dreams and and everything in the future all right guys well it was a pleasure talking to you guys and i appreciate it so yeah, yeah. thanks for coming on yeah. support us on patreon or anchor and find us on instagram or facebook